Um, but he said something today doing his podcast that that I really found very interesting. He said, because I preach responsibility, I am attacked by those who love chaos. When the whole George Floyd thing was going on and neighborhoods were being burned down and businesses were leaving those neighborhoods, that opened up the door to gentrification. So when neighborhoods are burned down, guess what the value of that neighborhood does? Goes down in value. Investors come in, swoop up those areas that are now low in value, raise it back up, and the people who now live in that neighborhood can no longer afford it. So the people who are progressing or and, and egging on this have an agenda outside of what they're telling you. Because every time that you see racial discord happening and riots and protests happening, those places are never happening in affluent neighborhoods because they're not allowed to. All right, family, welcome to Studio B. I am your host, Pastor MDH. We are here again on the set, live and direct, um, with some more great, great, great stuff that we're going to talk about today, man. Thank you so very much for all of you guys who tune in, who like, who follow, who subscribe. But I need to give you a couple of instructions here, man. I really need you to kind of feel me. If you're watching us on YouTube, right at the bottom of this particular link, there's a Patreon link. Man, if you go ahead and support us through Patreon, a dollar, five dollars a month, whatever it may be, you will have access to exclusive content that all the other subscribers do not have access to. Uh, what I would like you to also do is to make sure that you like, comment, and subscribe. Hit the little bell right there to the right so that you'll be notified every time we upload a podcast on Studio B. Uh, so I need you to do that because that helps the channel to grow <clears throat> and that helps more people to get involved uh, with what we're talking about. On Facebook, I need you to like and share, right? Share the comment, talk about the comment, comment on the content so that we can get this thing out there expeditiously. So today, today, man, I got a lot that I'm going to talk about and I'm going to compress it into about an hour and 10 minutes. But uh, I want to talk about the Kyle Rittenhouse case. I told you last week, if you go back and look at that podcast from last week, I told you that this young man will be found not guilty, to which he was not guilty, to which uh, all charges, all five um, he were acquitted of. And want to talk about this in, in, in a couple of different aspects. So I have um, some people around me that I have officers, uh, police officers that are very, very good friends of mine. I have attorneys uh, that are really good friends of mine, criminal, uh, family law and the like uh, that are really good friends of mine. So in areas that I don't have necessarily an expertise or a skill set, uh, I'm able to bounce things off of people that do have knowledge in the areas that I don't have knowledge in. And it's a wonderful blessing to be able to have, you know, a Rolodex that affords you those kind of opportunities. So if you're ever in a gray area and you don't really know that particular area, that's not your skill set, that's not where you reside, to have people who live in that space and are able to kind of walk you through those waters is just such a great benefit. 
And so we have been talking about um, this case uh, for a long, long time. And I've been talking to the lawyers, I've been talking to the lawyer friends of mine and police officers, uh, friends of mine. And if you have watched this case um, at any length of time, the facts of the case, the facts of the case will give you great insight on the outcome of the case, not the hysteria around the case, but the actual facts of the case. The actual facts of the case will give you great insight on the potential outcome of the case. And so as you watch this, as I did, and I watched it for a couple of different reasons, as I talked about uh, in the last podcast, so I won't go over that in depth, but I watched this case, probably about 75% of it, Um, I watched it from the prosecution side and from the defense side. And so walking through this case as much as I did, you were clearly able to see the outcome of the case, not the hysteria of the case. A lot of stuff is coming out now. A lot of stuff is coming out. At the outset of the Kyle Rittinghouse verdict on Friday of last week, Well, he was acquitted on all five charges. Immediately, there was social unrest. Social media blew up. Twitter blew up. Facebook blew up. Instagram blew up about systematic racism and racist and white privilege. To which I had a conversation with a friend of mine that I said, so a white man who shot three other white men who were prosecuted by a white man who was defended by a white man who was judged by a white man in Wisconsin, which is a predominantly white state and all but two of the jurors were white. How then does that equate to systematic racism? How does a white man who shot three other white men, who gets prosecuted by a white man, who gets defended by a white man, who gets judged by a white man in a white court in a white state equate to systematic racism? How does it equate to white privilege? Well, the white privilege didn't work too well for Joseph Rosenbaum and Anthony Huber. But here's what the narrative was. Here's what the narrative was. The narrative was this 17 year old white supremacist travels across state lines to a Black Lives Lives Matter protest, a riot, and shoots down BLM protesters. The narrative which should have been what they wanted it to be was a white man crossing state lines, going into a BLM protest and shooting down black people. Now remember in Kenosha, the actual riots and the protest was on the back of uh, James Blake. Uh, the young man that was shot by the police officer seven times. Um, The narrative of the Blake situation was that he was unarmed. We absolutely know that's not the case. He had a knife that he was wielding at the cops. We also know that his girlfriend had called the cops on Blake that morning because he had already punched her in the face and that he was violating a restraining order. So the cops were not at his house for no reason. They were at his house because his girlfriend called the cops on Blake. 
So the Kenosha riots, you know, started with the incident of, of Blake, um, who lived, by the way, but I think he's paralyzed from the waist down. I don't know if it's permanent uh, paralysis, but I believe that he's he's paralyzed from the waist down. So in Kenosha, all of these things started uprising. So all of these protests started happening. So the narrative was, here's this this little white kid, this privileged little 17-year-old white kid who crosses state lines, who comes over into Kenosha with an AR-15 and starts unleashing havoc on BLM protesters. Well, if you listen to the case, it starts off with incorrect information. He never crossed over state lines. His grandmother lived there. His father lived there. He worked in Kenosha and was in Kenosha at the very time. The reason why they dropped the weapons charge on Kyle Rittenhouse is because they charged with them have with having an SBR. SBR stands for short barrel rifle. Uh, and I don't have the time to kind of go into the particulars of that, but an AR-15 from the butts from the uh, upper receiver all the way to the end of the barrel must be 16 inches in length. Anything under 16 inches in length, it cannot have a fixed stock attached to it. It's got to have what's called a pistol brace attached to it. So they charged him with felony possession of a weapon because they thought he had an SBR. But once they measured the gun from the tip of the upper receiver to the end of the barrel, that came to 16 inches, which is a legal rifle in Wisconsin for 17 year olds to have. So they dropped the weapons charge on him, which the prosecution was banking on him getting that weapons charge. But here's this, they messed up and charged him with an SBR. He did not have an SBR. In order to get an SBR, you have to file form four, uh, 501 from the ATF and pay the ATF $200 and go down to your local police municipality and get them to sign off on you having an SBR. I have an SBR. Okay, so I've been tax stamped by the ATF, by Homeland Security, ran through the ringer. Everything has come out to be good. That There's a process that you got to go through in order to get an SBR. But the facts of the case from the beginning of the case were not accurate at all. And why? Because they knew what they were doing. And as I've tried to tell you guys over and over again, Malcolm X said this. He said that the media is the most powerful monster that has ever been created because it has the ability to change narratives. What you see on TV and because there was a point in time that we trusted those on the other side of that screen and we didn't think twice about it because this was objective journalism, we took it at face value, it is not the same anymore. We are living in a very partisan world where you have to be able to research the things that you hear. So when Kyle Rittenhouse was found not guilty, I found this very, very interesting that Black Lives Matter comes to the actual courthouse where Kyle Rittenhouse was uh, acquitted. Now remember, there was a point in time when anybody said all lives matter, people got upset, they got frustrated, they they called you this, they called you that. When they talking about black lives matter and somebody would say all lives matter, that was this big old uh, conundrum that would explode. But on this day, last Friday, you have Black Lives Matter on the courthouse steps in Kenosha, Wisconsin, that are coming alongside of the um, uh, family members of Anthony Huber, white, uh, white Americans wrapping their arms around them and Black Lives Matter founder. One of the Black Lives Matter founders said these words, all lives matter. That's what the Black Lives Matter said on the steps of Wisconsin. 
So black folks got upset. They got, um, they talked about that this is systematic racism. See here this is and all this other stuff, but nobody said anything. Nobody said anything about Adolf Thornton. We call him young Dolph. This, this up and coming rapper in Memphis. We get upset that a white man that shot three white men that was prosecuted by a white man, defended by a white man, judged by a white man in Wisconsin um, and, and got acquitted on all five charges. We call that systematic racism and the world erupted. Black Lives Matter made sure that they were there with their protests, marching outside of the courthouse with AR-15s wrapped around their strapped over their shoulders. But this man, Adolph Thornton, who was a husband and a father of three, got gunned down in Memphis, Tennessee, in his own hometown, by his own people, while supporting black businesses, and nobody said a thing. Black Lives Matter wasn't in Memphis saying, where is this man that shot Adolf Thornton? Where is this black man? Two of them are on camera. Nobody's saying nothing. It's been almost two weeks since he's been gunned down and still no arrests and no suspects have been charged. There's no outrage that a black man was shot down by another black man. There was no outrage that a black man who was a father and a husband who was turning his life around and provided uh, a, a legacy for his family was gunned down in cold blood in his own hometown by his own people supporting the black business. Nobody said a word, not a blip on the radar. But you want me to get mad that Kyle Rittinghouse is, a, is an example of white supremacy. And people say, well, what if he was black? He would be, if that was a black man, he would have been put up under the jail. Do you guys remember a man by the name of Timothy Simpkins? It's a young man that was in Dallas on October the 8th. Uh, this young man went to his high school and shot three people. Black guy, black teenager, shot three people in his high school. Got a $25,000 bond and was out the next day. This black, this, this young black teenager, 18 years old, October the 8th in the Dallas Fort Worth area, walked into his school and shot three people after a little fight that he had had with another student. Shot the student that he was in uh, in a fight with, the, the teacher of the classroom got shot and another person got grazed by the bullet. He got a $25,000 bond, you only pay 10%, $2,500 he was out the next day after shooting three people. After shooting three people. This idea that they're trying, and, and uh, listen, listen, this civil war that is trying to be manipulated and put before people just doesn't work. And I'm gonna show you something here because two things can be true at the same time. And this is why, this is why I'm telling you to do your research. The Ahmaud Arbery case right now is in closing arguments. The Ahmaud Arbery case is absolutely a case of racism. It is absolutely undeniable case of racism that these two men in the Ahmaud Arbery case, Travis McMichael and his father, uh, Gregory McMichael, these two guys, these two guys, the killing of Ahmaud Arbery was absolutely initiated by his color. And if not, his color had definitely a part to play in them shooting this man. So I tell people this, you have to be able to look at cases individually, not lump everything into the same basket. 
So the prosecutor absolutely grilled uh, Travis McMichael to bitch. I've been watching this particular case um, uh, from the front from the front to the back. So I've been watching this case and she grilled him. Ahmaud Aubrey never pulled a gun, never pulled a knife. He was not threatening in any way, shape or form. They had no conversation. He didn't threaten him verbally. Travis McMichael and his father, Gregory, were in a truck and Ahmaud Arbery was on foot running away from them. So he posed absolutely no threat to them at all, at all. But they're trying to make a citizen's arrest and a citizen's arrest went awry, but upon, but upon cross-examination of the prosecutor, it is clear that Ahmaud Arbery's color played a significant role in them taking this to the next level. They are going to be prosecuted. They will be found guilty. But there's another man in there, William Bryant. There's three people charged in the Ahmaud Arbery case. There is um, Travis McMichael, Gregory McMichael, and William Bryan. William Bryan is a young man that is took the video. So he's a guy that had not this video been shown, then this case would have probably not even come out into the public square. But they're charging him with accessory to murder. Now he will probably get off because he played no vital part. He was not a part of the shooting. He had nothing to do with the situation. He just simply recorded the, the actual incident himself. He will probably get off with a lesser degree other than first degree murder. The other two, the other two, the other two are going to be put under the jail cell. They are in closing arguments today by which we should have, uh, with the Thanksgiving holiday, we should have a verdict on that by no later than Friday. Um, but it is an open and shut case. And this is anybody that has any legal sense and have been watching this particular trial. This is a clear case of racism. So when I say, and I always got to, you know, qualify myself, man, of course there is racism in the world. Of course there is. There are people that don't like you because of the way that you look. They don't like you because of the color of your skin. They don't like you because of the religion that you practice. They don't like you because of your sexual orientation. They don't like you because of what side of town that you may stay on. All of those things are true. But what I try to get people to do is to look at cases on an individual basis because not all cases can be thrown into the same bucket. Ahmaud Arbery, this particular case is a clear case of a man's color playing a detrimental role in his demise. And so not only will they be um, criminally prosecuted, um, there will be some civil charges that'll be filed probably against uh, the state of Georgia uh, and some civil um, um, some civil uh, liabilities that'll be paid out uh, on behalf of the state. Uh, so they will probably be sued. All the assets that they have, Travis and Gregory McMichaels will be brought under the umbrella and everything that they've worked so hard for all of their lives will be put into this package and they will be sued to the hilt to which they should. Because the video of Ahmaud Arbery, uh, Arbery is very disturbing. It is, matter of fact, they played it several times in court. It's a hard film to watch. It's a very hard film to watch. And my heart breaks for this young man. Regardless of all of the stuff of him being in a house that he wasn't supposed to be in and all of that stuff, that's part of the case. That's true. 
but for him to meet his demise in this way was absolutely unjust. And these two men will receive the recompense of their actions. But to take that to a Cal Rittinghouse and put those two cases in the same bucket is just not right. It's not fair. And it makes no legal sense. It makes no logical sense because as you watch the Rittenhouse trial and listen to the young man, Rosenbaum, who is the only survivor left and Rosenbaum says, I pointed my loaded Glock 17 in his face to which the defense attorney said, when did Kyle Rittenhouse shoot before or after you place the Glock 17 in his face? And Joseph Rosenbaum, this is the prosecutor's star witness, says he fired after I put the gun in his face, not before. So I tell people, man, th this stuff, we're living in an age right now, especially in this age and in, in cases like these, uh, the judges have decided to be very transparent and allow cameras into the courtroom, which is a blessing. So you get to look, turn on your local TV station, whatever you may look at, and you're able to watch exactly what's going on. You are an extended member of the jury. You're able to see this stuff and thank God for it. Thank God that you're able to watch this stuff in real time. So everybody, this is what I say. And, and because I got people that I can really call on in, in areas and and, and, and and talk to people that are skilled in criminal defense and say, man, talk to me about self-defense. Talk to me about the threshold of self-defense. What does it mean to be in self-defense? What is the burden of proof that has to be met in a self-defense case? What, what has to happen? What is the burden of proof that the state has to do in a self-defense case? And I'm able to talk to people who have expertise and a skill set, who are actual criminal attorneys who can talk to me about these things and police officers that can talk to me about what it means to be a cop, what it means to be on the street, what it means to be in the beat. Talk to me about these things so that in areas that I'm not skilled in, I have people that I can call who offer me great insight. So when you're looking at all of these things going on, Everybody, that's why I, I continually say, please hear my heart, man, just take a step back and, and figure out what's going on before you make a rush to judgment, before you make a rush to judgment, figure out what's going on, figure out what's going on. And you will be able to find some things that the media, all media is not telling you. They're not telling you the truth. They're just not telling you the truth. So Kyle Rittenhouse got found not guilty on all five uh, counts. Um, that Kyle Rittenhouse spent two months in jail, had a $2 million bond by which they raised the $2 million or the $200,000 bond that he needed uh, via GoFundMe and other donate to Kyle Rittenhouse legal funds. Um, spent two months in jail while awaiting to be released on bond and was under house arrest during the trial himself. So he had to be monitored every time that he went home from the trial. So I, this happened on Friday. There was something that was tragically happened just a couple of days ago in the same state of Wisconsin. I keep saying Wisconsin. It's Wisconsin. Doesn't have a T at the end. Wisconsin. 
at a Christmas parade in Waukesha, Waukesha, uh, Wisconsin, doing a Christmas parade. There was a man that plowed through the Christmas parade, killing five people, two of those toddlers, and injuring 50. Daryl Brooks is the suspect and has been charged with over 15 crimes since 1999. I want to sh- share this about this young man because this man just got out of jail last Friday on a $1,000 bond on a felony assault charge. He just got out of jail on a $1,000 bond on a felony assault charge after jumping bail on a previous charge. So if you know anything about what's going on around the nation right now, there's this whole bail reform, cash bail reform that has been dominating the headlines for a whole lot of time. So he's killed five people and injured nearly 50. And the reports are he did so intentionally and is expected to face first degree homicide. Police said on Monday. The suspect, Daryl Brooks Jr., 39, had been released from custody after a strikingly similar case in which he was accused of driving over his baby mama, running her over with a car, and sending her to the hospital, leaving tire marks on her leg. The Milwaukee District Attorney's Office, which is prosecuting that case, said Monday that it is launching an internal review of the prosecutor's inappropriately low $1,000 bail recommendation. The bail amount was signed off by the court administrator. But what they don't tell you is that the DA ran his reelection campaign on lowering bail. So now the DA wants to take the high road and says that he's going to launch an investigation into the prosecutor that set the thousand dollar bail, which was ridiculously low for this particular offense. But the DA actually ran on the premise of lowering bonds and bail. So he just got out of jail last Friday after running over his baby mama. At the time that he ran through the parade, he was fleeing a knife fight. He was fleeing a knife fight. Ran through. Now, if you've ever been in parades, parades are barricaded. And people are walking slowly in a parade. He barrels through the uh, the barricades and plows over 55 people going at least 45 miles an hour in a parade. I want you to think about that. I want you to think about that. I want you to think about that. That here it is, this man that is out on bond of a thousand dollars after jumping bond, the previous charge, after running over his baby mama, is fleeing a knife flight uh, fight in his car, runs over 55 people, killing five. Let me, sh- let me show you where we are right now. An, Ill- an Illinois Democrat by the name of Mary Lemansky wrote on Twitter these words. This parade incident is karma for the state of Wisconsin. That's what she said. She said, what happened 
when two toddlers got ran over by a man going 45 miles an hour through a parade, that's karma because they acquitted Rittenhouse. Now, she's since been relieved of all duty. But she had the nerve and the audacity to put this on Twitter. That this is karma. Five people dying, 50 people being injured by somebody running through a parade at 45 miles an hour is karma. Because they acquitted Rittenhouse. This is the environment that we are in. We're because we've created such a toxic environment and because social media gives voices to people that should not be heard. We are living in this kind of toxic environment. And I listened to a father as he was interviewed, who got hit by a car as he pushed his daughter who was in the, I don't know what you call the people that, that do the flags. Um, but he pushed his daughter out the way as the car came, as the SUV, the Ford red SUV came barreling through as he pushed his, his daughter out of the way, he got nipped in his leg. And with tears in his eyes, he said this, if I had to die in order to save my daughter, that's what I was willing to do. And you have this lady, Mary Lemansky, who said that that is karma because of the decision on last Friday. This is the environment that we have allowed to foster, to fester. This is the environment where somebody 39 years old, excuse me, 49 years old, says that kids dying is karma because of a legal uh, decision that happened on the previous Friday. How do we get to this place? We get to this place because we don't hold people accountable. We get to this place where we don't hold them accountable. Now, again, she has since been relieved of all duty. She has deleted her Instagram, her Twitter, and her Facebook. Now, she's talking about karma, but she can't stand the karma. She got off of social media very, very quick when the trolls came from her, or came for her. But this is the environment that we have allowed to fester in America because we keep getting divided on stuff that shouldn't be divided. Two things can be true at the same time. This is happening in our nation right now. And I fear uh, with a conversation that I had last night with the men, I told a man in a moment of transparency, man, sometimes I get so not so I don't want to talk I don't want to make it seem like I'm getting ready to go jump off a bridge because trust me I'm not um, but I get discouraged in the time that I'm I'm opening up the Bible uh, and I'm telling people a conviction on my heart that that God is calling us to live in peace and that and, and God has a plan for us and God all of these things that the Bible talks about Right. And I told the men this last night. Sometimes I just feel like a fool because the world is portraying such a contrary message to the gospel. And I understand that that's the case. I understand that that's how it's going to be. Jesus said that the world is going to hate you because they first hated me. I understand the way that it works. Trust me, I'm, I'm, I'm not I'm not complaining about that. But sometimes, as Isaiah said, I get discouraged because the message of hope falls on falls on deaf ears. 
And for the life of me, for the life of me, I don't understand in 2021 how the world could be so divided. Yes, we got differences, everybody. Yes, people are not going to agree with you. People are not homogenous. They're not a monolith. They can't all be placed into the same box. All of that stuff is true. But the stuff that unites us is far greater than the stuff that separates us. And as I told the men last night, I'm, I'm, I'm preaching this message of hope and, and, and unity and love and, 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 and let's get beyond, you know, Republican, Democrat, let's get beyond white versus black. Let's get beyond all of these divisions that are in our land. And let's just try loving people. Let's just try loving people. Let's just try being there for one another. Let's just try, regardless of color, race, creed, sexuality, whatever it may be, let's just try getting beyond all that stuff because all of that is constructs. I just, I really struggle with this because I have people in my life from every walk of life, every walk of life. I've been so fortunate so blessed by God that I have people from every walk of life that I can call and that they know me. I got people that I can call in this arena, in that arena, from this religion, from that religion, from this color, from that color. I got people from all over that are genuine good friends of mine. And it's not a, it's not an issue until we make it an issue. And I don't understand. I do understand. I talked about it a few, a uh, couple of months ago. I understand why the divide is there because money is being made with that. Uh, people are profiting uh, when there is discord in the land. I mean, that's at, 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 at the crux of it all. That's what that is. I get that. I've said on many times before with people sitting on both sides of the aisle, good friends of mine, that we can't get to the conversations that we need to get to because we keep getting bogged down with all of this other foolishness that's in the land. So when I say that there is still racism, uh, yes, everybody, yes, there's still racist, there's prejudiced people, um, there's people that don't like you. But as I said last week to black America and to specifically black America, uh, it wasn't a white guy that shot down Adolph Thornton. It wasn't a guy with a hood on. It wasn't a rogue cop. It wasn't any of those things. It wasn't a judge, wasn't a politician. It was people that had the same pigmentation as he did. It was black folks that shot another black person. And when I try to bring balance, I had a young, uh, listening to a young man's podcast this morning on my way uh, into the studio, um, a guy that I greatly uh, respect. I'm trying to get him on now that I think we got the whole um, uh, Zoom thing figured out. Um, I'm try to connect him via Zoom because uh, he's in California. Um, but he said something today doing his podcast that that I really found very interesting. He said, "Because I preach responsibility, I am attacked by those who love chaos." I thought that was a very interesting statement. He said, because I preach responsibility, because I preach that we need to be responsible for what we do on an individual basis, and then that spreads to the collective, I am attacked by people who love and benefit off of chaos. One of the things when the whole George Floyd thing was going on, 
and neighborhoods were being burned down and businesses were leaving those neighborhoods that opened up the door to gentrification. So when neighborhoods are burned down, guess what the value of that neighborhood does? Goes down in value. Investors come in, swoop up those areas that are now low in value, raise it back up, and the people who now live in that neighborhood can no longer afford it. So the people who are progressing and, and egging on this have an agenda outside of what they're telling you. It's happening all over the, it's happening everywhere. Because every time that you see racial discord happening and riots and protests happening, those places are never happening in affluent neighborhoods because they're not allowed to. Take the Watts, take uh, Rodney King. None of those riots went towards Bel Air because the police didn't allow the rioters to get over Bel Air state uh, city lines. All of that stuff happened in Watts and in Compton in lower income communities, which is where it always happens. They never burn down multi-million dollar mansions ever, 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 because that's not where it's supposed to happen. So he says, because I preach responsibility, I am attacked by those who love chaos. And man, what an appropriate statement. What an appropriate statement. When I and others are the like, and I'm telling you, man, there's a lot of people out there. I have so many people coming up to me uh, on Monday nights and, and, and that are talking, that watch the podcast that, and I don't want to put words in their mouth and I don't want to name any names, but I understand when you don't go along with the narrative, what happens to you? I understand what they say about you. Those words are not always kind. I get it. Uh, then, you know, they can be pretty disheartening, especially when they're coming from people that share your pigmentation. I get that. However, we are, we have a moral duty to speak truth to error, a moral duty to speak truth to error. When you know the facts, you're able to operate in a better space. When you don't know the facts, when you don't know them, it's, it's crazy because everything gets off kilter. So I think that what we need to do here, and, and this is just me playing, um, I, I'm not God, nor do I ever claim to be God, but I do believe that the formula for reconciliation is found within the pages of scripture. And even not even on a, on a, on a spiritual level, that's where I would like to keep it. Um, but I understand that not everybody believes the Bible, not everybody affirms the Bible, not everybody holds uh, the Bible to be important to them. So on a civil basis, on a civil basis, right? In a society that we all have to collectively share, we all have to collectively share this world that we're living in. We all gotta do it. And so it's incumbent upon us to figure this thing out because the way that we're going is not sustainable. It's not sustainable. So when we talk about all the things that the world is doing right now and all of the melee that is in the land, as I was talking to my lawyer friend on Saturday, he said, you know what? But they was expecting some buildings to burn uh, in um in Kenosha, Wisconsin. They were expected. Uh, they was just waiting on somebody to throw the first Molotov cocktail. 
uh, with the first flame, it just would have went up in fire. They was hoping that something was going to burn because of that verdict that happened last Friday. They were banking on it. Now, other than some people walking down the street, you know, saying this and saying that a couple of fights here and there, nothing happened in Wisconsin after uh, the verdict. Nothing happened to the chagrin of those who were banking on something happening, banking on something happening. Can you think about the narrative if Daryl Brooks would have been a white man and that would have been a black parade in the middle of, say, whatever, whatever city where black people occupy? If a black if a, if a white guy had rolled through at 45 miles an hour and killed five people, injuring 50, what would have been the headlines? We all know it. But it doesn't fit the narrative. So there's a whole lot of stories. There's a story in New York that, I, as a matter of fact, I don't want to mention that um, because th that one actually gets me heated because uh, this this expecting mother was shot 11 times in her head and in her stomach by her crazy baby father who got out of prison, got out of jail on a $500 bond. Just coming home from a baby shower, taking the gifts out of the car, shoots her 11 times, pregnant. Just got on a, five, on a $500 bond. Happened up in New York just this week. Just last week, excuse me. What is going on in our world? I want to, in these last couple of minutes, um, speak to you about something that is very, very, very dear to me. I am going to be known when I get to heaven, and I will get to heaven by God's grace, uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit by which he's given me, I will be in heaven. And when I get to heaven, I want to hear God tell me, well done. I have an assignment and a calling and an anointing on my life that I absolutely am 1000% assured of. I know God has allowed me the space that I currently occupy. I, I know it. I absolutely know that beyond any shadow of a doubt. So I am convinced that God is using me in this season of my life in purposes that ultimately glorify him, not to glorify a particular person or an individual or a group. None of that stuff. That stuff is temporal. That, that stuff will fade away. It's passing wind. But the only things that you do, for, the only things that will matter is what you do for Christ. I say that because everybody, everybody watching, you are given the same amount of time currency. 24 hours. Everybody gets it. Jeff, because just because Jeff Bezos is a billionaire, that doesn't mean he gets 26 hours. Just because the homeless man is under a bridge, that doesn't mean he gets 20 hours. Everybody gets the same 24 hours. Time currency. That's what we call it. But not everybody spends it the right way. Most people don't invest their time currency. 
Everybody gets the same, but not everybody invests time currency. They don't spend it correctly. And every day that you wake up, you're given a chance and a choice. Every day you wake up, you're given a chance and a choice. Something that you can do with the time currency that God allows you. People who are further along in life have made choices to put them in that position. They've done some things with their time currency that benefits them in the future. Everybody's given a chance and a choice every time that you open up your eyes every single day. So what I proclaim on Studio B and the guys that I mentor, I have a group of men that I mentor, I tell them the exact same thing. Choices matter. Choices matter. You can't get away from the choices that you make. Now, if they're bad choices, you just got to eat them. You just got to suck it up. Hey, this was a bad choice. Here's the consequences that come along with that choice. I got to eat that. I got to swallow that. I got to do what I got to do. But there's a day after that, that bad mistake. But every single day, you get time currency. Every single day, you get time currency. What are you doing with the time currency? The choices that you make today have to be beneficial for you tomorrow. Because this chance and a choice that everybody, no matter black, white, rich, poor, River Oak, Sunnyside, educated, not educated, both parents in the home, no parents in the home, no matter what your situation, you're still given the same amount of time currency because God is a fair God. But what do you do with it? We are living in a society right now that wants to take responsibility away from the choices. And my friends, you just can't do that. That's not the way that the world works. This is a cause and effect life that we live in. For every cause, there's an effect. That's just the world that we live in. If I hit my hand with a hammer, pain is going to ensue. It's cause and effect. If I don't want the pain, I don't hit my hand with a hammer. It's a cause and effect world that we're living in. And God is a cause and effect God. God's not going to judge you by what somebody else was supposed to do. God's not going to judge you by the anointing and, and the destiny that he placed on somebody else. God's not going to ask you about anybody else. God's going to ask you about you. And what will you tell him? On that great getting up day, when you stand before God and give an account of your life, what are you going to tell him? Well, I, I've made it a point that I want to, uh, I want to cast my crowns at his feet. I want to cast my crowns at his feet. So uh, last week I told you about two phenomenal um, men um, that I am uh, studying right now, Booker T. Washington, Up From Slavery. I've since finished that book. Uh, again, I would greatly, 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 greatly um, encourage you to um, find that book and uh, read it. I believe it will bless you tremendously. And then also I am reading um, the writings of 
uh, a very not a very I was getting ready to say very good but that's that that would not do him uh, um, the justice that he so deserves uh, Frederick Douglass uh, the abolitionist um, and the life of Frederick Douglass and all the things that we are even enjoying in 2021 that he did all the way back in the late 1800s how this man came up from nothing how Booker T. Washington came up from nothing and rose to a level of prominence that we're still talking about him 150 years post their death. Uh, I believe that that's impact. A man never dies as long as his name is still spoken. Always remember that. Live your life in such a way that your name will always be spoken. Their name is continually being spoken over a century after their death. That's called impact. And so I want to leave you with this. I want to leave you with this from Booker T. Washington. He said, I've begun everything with the idea that I can succeed. And I've never had much patience with the multitudes of people who are ready to explain why one cannot succeed. He says, every idea that I have, I have that idea believing that I can succeed. And if I don't succeed, it's not going to be because of a lack of effort. Now, everything's not going to cause success. So there are going to be some ideas. That's going to be some things that you're going to do that are not going to succeed. They're going to fail miserably. But failure is actually success. So if I fail, when I fail, it's not going to be because I didn't try everything I could to succeed. I'm going to exhaust every single option. J.C. Penney's filed for bankruptcy seven times. So failure is actually a success, but don't let lack of effort be why you do not succeed. So I'm going to go out as an eternal optimist with people and tell you, as I tell you all the time, if God be for you, it is more than the world against you. When the enemy comes in like a flood, God will raise up a standard against him. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. With God, nothing is impossible. Nothing shall separate me from the love of God. All things work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. These are the promises by which I lean on. When life get hard, and it does, and I'm tempted to quit and tap out, which sometimes I'm tempted to do, I lean on that. And believe that God is never going to put more on me than what I'm able to bear. And so, saints, as this world is spiraling doing what the world does, I want to encourage you to take a different perspective. I want to encourage you to look beyond all of the foolishness. Look beyond that. Look beyond it. Because there's good people out there from every walk of life. Yeah, there's a lot of bad people. True. There's a lot of bad people, but there's also a lot of good people. There's a lot of good people out there that have the same interests that you have. They're going to work every day. They're trying to take care of their family. They're trying to put food on the table. They're trying to do the best that they possibly can with what they have to work with. It's people out there that's got the exact same life that you have. And so as God is desiring um, unity, maybe it's something that I may not see in my lifetime, but uh, I thank God that um, my daughters and my son uh, are living in such a diverse culture to where they get to experience different things 
from different people groups. I thank God for that because I believe it's going to enhance them and I believe it's going to culturally make them better for what God is calling for them to do. So be encouraged. Be encouraged. So Thanksgiving has come and gone. And hopefully you're still on the Thanksgiving high. Hopefully you're not going to go out there and sit in line, didn't sit in line for 32 hours trying to get a $200 TV for Black Friday. But be thankful with what you have. Always remember, if you focus on what you have, you always have enough. If you focus on what you don't have, you never have enough. Everybody, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for those for the last year and a half, almost two years now, well, year and a half, um, that have been following, that have subscribed, that tune in every single week. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, just truth be told by me, I didn't, I, I believe that God uh, put this on my heart to do. So when I went to our pastor and and pitched a vision, he took his hands off and he said, run with it. Never in a million years um, did I expect it to have the impact that it's having. So thank you for all of those who are joining in, those who listen every single week, um, those who find value in what we talk about. And remember, uh, Pastor MDH at StudioB.com is my personal email address. You can call me. You can text me. Uh, let me know if you got anything that you want to offer and be here on the set of Studio B. Let me know. Remember, like, follow, comment, and subscribe. Now, we'll be getting um, this Zoom thing up and running here in the next, uh, hopefully by the top of the year. So as 2022 comes along, you'll be able to get guests from all different parts of the world. Um, that'll be on Studio B. So be looking out for that. We got some great stuff uh, in line. But everybody, thank you for joining us. We love you, man. And remember, if God before you is more than the entire world against you. God bless you. We'll see you next week.